Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 5, continuing our study through uh, the book of Jeremiah. And yeah, Sunday is the uh, Thanksgiving lunch, right? The Thanksgiving dinner lunchtime. I think it's going to be a great time. Great time of fellowship. Encourage, Encourage everyone to stick around for that. Just a great time to hang out with one another. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll get you a Bible. They'll bring it up to you. And look at Wednesday night crowd. People are bringing their swords, man. Love it. Love it. All right. So here we are in, in chapter 5. Uh, I thought we'd speed it up a little bit, but we're going to stay here one chapter at a time for now. And thinking about the message that um, has been crystal clear to Judah. It has been repentance. It's been get it, get your heart right. The end of chapter 4, Jeremiah said something to this. He said, you know what, you guys, you're going to be plundered. In verse 30, he says, when you are plundered. And then when they were going to be plundered, he said that you guys will adorn yourselves. You're going to, uh, you know, uh, try to lure the attention of the enemy and welcome them and then have a party with them, but they're not there to party with you. You know, they would... They were to know that anything that they were going to try in their own flesh, anything that they would kind of muster in their own strength wasn't going to work. Anything in their own merits, it would just live a life of trouble. It was never going to work out. And isn't that the case, right? When we live for ourselves, it's always an empty case. It's always everyone, you know, these guys here, speaking of Judah, looking to get their lives, hoping to attract, you know, people out in the world hoping to live their lives for that matter. And this is the point of living for themselves. This is what Judah was all about, living for themselves. And living for themselves, as Jeremiah would point out, it's going to be empty. You'll never be satisfied. And everyone that they were hoping to attract to, be, to befriend them, as we saw at the end of chapter 4, they would turn on them. And so, you know, if you're in that place of vacillating between trusting in the Lord and trusting other things like Judah was or whatever it might be, it could be idols, it could be people, it could be things, it could be um, credit cards, bank accounts, whatever it might be, worldly wisdom. In the end, all of these things aren't going to be there like, like you'd hope they'd be there for you. They're not going to be there. You know, when a rubber meets the road, the end of the time, and Jeremiah is talking about a people here. People will backslide, they will leave God, and they will think uh, that the people that they're hanging with will always have their backs, but they're going to be disappointed in the end. And that's where we left off in chapter 4. So now we're in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Look at what he says. He's telling them that judgment is imminent. It's going to happen. And he says in verse 1, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know. So he's telling them this. Look, at the message is clear. You can have... You walk down, I've never been in New York City as far as downtown, but the, you've seen the pictures, right, on, on uh, New Year's Eve. Maybe some of you guys have been down there. And they got these big billboards, just here's what's happening. Here's the next greatest sneaker or whatever, whatever's going on. They even have live TVs down there. But this message is very clear that the Lord is bringing forth through Jeremiah. And he says, see now and know and seek in her open places and see if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes ju- judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though, uh, though they say as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. So well, here's what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying judgment is coming. Right? The judgment is coming. And he says, but, but the thing here is, can you find anyone to stand up for truth? Well, is anybody going to stand up for truth? Stand up and walk in the truth. That's what he's asking here. And so the Lord through Jeremiah asked if anyone is going to stand up for justice. Now think about it today. Think of the world that we live in. Truth. Not what we presume to be truth, but what is truth. And to stand up for that. To take a stand in the world that we live in. And to be men and to be women that are saying, you know what? Uh, 
Jesus Christ died for me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna live in that manner on that path with him for the rest of my life. In verse two, is notice notice what it says, though they say, though they say. See, many of them would say things, but none of them were sincere in what they were saying. Many of them were talking, right? They were saying the words, but they weren't sincere in them. They were deceivers. They were luring people away from the truth of God's, God's word. You know, in the world today, you think the same thing. The devil always has a plan for the people of God, and that's to lure them away from God. And it's to lure them away from the truth of God's word. It's to lure them into a life that, um, that, that has no uh, power in it. Even if he can get us to live in a life that has a form of, of godliness, right? Just going through the motions. And this is why it's so important for us to be Bereans, to be people of the Word, to study the Word, to show ourselves approved. That way when we see people being lured or the lure out there, we are that's a lie. I'm not going after that. And we'll, we'll know the truth. And we'll see when something isn't right, we'll know it. We'll understand it. Because of the truth, we'll clearly identify it. And in doing so, we're going to protect our families. That's what's important. The flocks of our families. We see about from generation to generation how parents not walking with God, it affects the generation and the next generation. Families are torn. I like to look at it in a month. And I say this only, listen, when I talk about myself, when I get the day I got saved, I don't say about to boast of myself, but it means the world to me. It means everything to me. So when I say like December 9th in another month, in a, in a, in a month I celebrate my 30th birthday. <laughs> wish I was 30. No, I don't wish I was 30. My 30th birthday of walking with the Lord. But it, so it was like instead of taking, it was like taking a, a life and a family and transplanting it for the Lord. And, and instead of, you know, um, being deceived and living in that life of deception, but now we get to protect from that moment on. It's about to protect the things that God has given to us. And it would be sad that, you know, here that no, nobody's going to stand up for the truth. When are, when are men going to be men? And when are they going to stand up for the truth? And they had a, they had a, a long, long ago, they let, let, let the truth go. They let it go. And they have replaced it with these false fallacies or these false prophecies, these things that were coming from what they had hoped to be God, but it wasn't. And they were just satisfying themselves. They were uh, false peace. That was, that's what was offered. It was a false peace, false prophecies going on, but they were buying into it. I mean, look at the world today. It will give you free everything. How do you get free everything? The only thing that's free is salvation. You, you'll have to pay for something. We were talking about that today. I, was, I don't know who I was talking to, Gabe or somebody I was talking about. You know, when you, make a, when you take something out of the budget, it's got to come from somewhere. You've got to pay for it, right? I mean, if you guys run a budget at your home, I know Elaine and I want to go out there and go, honey, where is that coming from? Or usually it's this. And she goes, she wants to get her nails done. I say, where's that coming from? She goes, the food budget, of course. <laughs> Sorry, honey, I just put you on Front Street wherever you are. That's true. <laughs> I said, okay, we're eating nails for lunch. <laughs> but see, talk is cheap and the Lord looks right through their lips, clear down in the heart. And he says again, he says, surely they swear falsely. See, he knows the truth. And no matter what was coming from their lips, he's saying, I see from the heart. I, I see from the heart. And he says, surely they swear falsely. And so Jeremiah goes from this place of telling him about this danger, and then he begins to pray. And in verse 3, he says, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. And that they made their faces harder than rock, they have refused to return. So what he sees here is he, even though the warnings have been going out, he says, you know what? I see that the people, they're not listening to the correction. They're not listening. I remember being a teen, I wouldn't listen to my father. Don't take that car. You go put gas. I never listened. To, I'm sorry. I mean, I just never did it. I got in more trouble when I got back. But what a sad statement this is. A very sad statement, isn't it? That they wouldn't listen. They refuse, it says, they refuse to receive correction. Or they refuse to return. 
See, the word has gone out for them to return back to the Lord. That was the promise of God. Come back to me. I mean, his arms are wide open, right? It doesn't matter how far they've gone. He, he does not concern with that. Sometimes the Lord will tell them what they've done. He'll say, look, you're out there and you, you've done this. And I, because I know that. And I think he does that so that they don't think that, oh, they didn't, he didn't see it. But then he says, come back to me. My arms are wide open. I don't care what you've done. And see, these people here, um, that, that they've been in that mode. He reminds them of their failures, but he says, you know what? Look at, look at what you're doing. You're refusing to come back. You're refusing to return. But guess what? The word's still going to go out. Maybe you know somebody like this. Somebody like the children of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they backslidden, they're refusing to repent, and see, uh, they're, they're refusing to see things the way that God sees them. And you know what? God isn't done with them. Keep praying. Keep praying because God has this desire far greater than you and I have to see them walk with him. We all want to see our loved ones walk with Jesus, right? I mean, for real. And even our backslidden friends, family, but we got to just keep on keeping on. And, and I'll tell you, these people are at the point when they're refusing to see, receive correction. Man, I'll tell you what, it's like every time I see that, I see a hole being dug deeper. They're digging it themselves. And so listen to Jeremiah's appeal beginning in verse 4. He says this, Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they do, not, they do not know the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. I will go to the great nation and speak to them. So he's saying, hey, just give me a shot at it. Just give me a shot at it. Maybe my words will convince them. I will go down to this great man and I will speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord. They should have known at least the way of the Lord, right? And the judgment of their God but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst their bonds. Now listen, Jeremiah says, he says they should have known the way of the Lord. A lot of times we will assume because we hear somebody say something about the Lord, right? We'll, or they come to church or whatever the case may be. We'll assume things instead of hearing things. See here, uh, he had assumed, and people had said that he had assumed that, uh, well, they know the Lord. They should have known the Lord. But it reminds us too the Jeremiah's plea of a plea from another uh, Old Testament um, character named Abraham, doesn't it? Remember how Abraham would say, let me go and gather some of the mighty. Surely there will be some there, maybe 50. Not 50, about 40. Well, 30, and they got all the way down. Well, you're not going to find any here. He said, get out of there. Get the guys out of Sodom. Whoever will go because I'm going to destroy this place. You see, Jeremiah seemed to be convinced or at least he hoped that he, you know, just given a chance that he would uh, have a, a chance to redirect the backslider's heart and the uh, disobedient ways of the men back to the Lord. That was his heart. Verse 5 again, he says, he pleads with the Lord that they have known the Lord. Yeah, look, they've known you. At least that's what we'd hoped for. They should have known the Lord. They've been taught the things of God. But let me say this, you know, they might have known the Lord. And, and I think about this. Because this wasn't something they just fell off not knowing the Lord all of a sudden. I think of our liberties for you and I today. We have to be, I, I feel I have to be very careful in them. Because my heart, seeing that when God saved me, that He has a desire to save many, He's not done. He's not done with the gift of salvation. So these, the great men speak to him and they have known the way of the Lord. They should have known the ways of the Lord. Look at our liberties for you and I, I, I want to be very cautious in. I want to be very careful in them. And, and, I, and, I, and I say this, just because we may feel that something is good for us to do, it's okay, it's not a stumbling block to us, that we, we got to be careful on what we're showing our next generation. Because they may, you know, they think, well, we, this is what we used to do as a family. We used to do this. We've done that or the other thing. And then when they get old enough to lead their families and they're moved out on their own, going to college or whatever, say, well, this was a practice of the family. Let's just have a little more fun with it. We've got to be careful in that stuff. We've got to be, I mean, so careful. And, and I'm not saying that this isn't legalism. But look at that straight and narrow road is a road that you and I should be traveling on because it's a safe road. It's filled with practical Christian living than a path to where we're set apart for his glory. We're, look at that straight and narrow path. That's the path I want to 
drive on. I came out of this world. I, you know, let me let me give you an example. I may step on some toes here. When I came out of the world, I wanted nothing to do with it. Perfect, I am not. But I wanted nothing to do with it. When I came, when I came to Jesus, I left so many things behind. One of the things was Halloween. And, you know, I said, this is where I, I, I want to be in this. Because I don't want to stumble my children. I don't want to, you know, I just don't want them to go that route. And so when they get old enough, now they have kids, they have to see, well, well dad did this, and why did he do that? And I explained to them why he did that. They have to be careful on the, now the, the liberties that they feel that they have because of the fact, that's all I do is I share with them, you, I, I've shared with them over, you know, since they've had children. Be careful of the liberties that you share with your children. See, they never had to come out of the world like I did. I mean, I came out of the world, hightailing out of the world, straight to the cross of Jesus Christ. I didn't want nothing left in this world. And so the liberties that we have, it's not a legalism thing. It's like, man, they had nothing good to offer to me. When they were growing up, they didn't miss anything that Halloween had to offer. But they had a good time. They had a good time in being raised as a Christian, a man, young man and a young woman, under Jesus. And so that was a concern I had. My concern is now for them and then the next generation because of liberties, whether it's Halloween or whether it's whatever it is. You fill in the blank. But, it, but it's just like, why, why am I doing what I'm doing? And how am I doing it? What am I getting into? See, I want to I walk on that straight and narrow path. It's just it. And so again, it doesn't mean to be legalistic. That's not what it's meant for. But again, take it from somebody who's been on the other side. Maybe some of you haven't been on the other side in the world. You're raised in a Christian home. Praise God for that. But I was on the other side when I came to Jesus. I didn't want nothing to do with that world. And so I, I'm coming into this place. And again in verse 5 he says, they have, known, they have known the way. They should have known the ways. But they were far from them. Somebody, somewhere along the line somebody started slipping up. It just didn't come overnight. And again, somebody, you think, think about it, somewhere, somehow. And then look at verse four, or excuse me, verse six, because Jeremiah starts speaking about the penalty. He says, "Therefore, a lion from the forest shall slay them." In verse seven of chapter four, he he said the same phrase. He used the same phrase. A lion is speaking of the Babylonians. He says, "A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone goes out from there shall be torn in pieces." Because God is always just, and He will also tell why. These things are going to come to place because their transgressions are many. Their backslidings have increased. Remember, they wouldn't turn back to him. And so he says, this is why these things are going to take place. Their transgressions were the very reason, reason for their chastening. It wasn't because God didn't love them. And it wasn't that God got a kick out of punishing his children. He's not, he didn't have a bad day at the office, come home all grumpy and say, no, I'm going to take it on these guys today. It's not, it's not like him. See, they were as anybody being chastened because of their own actions. Their own actions. They're backsliding because of the choices that they made. And he points it out to them because their transgressions, their backslidings have increased. They've gone deeper and deeper. Look at verse 7. He asked him, he says, How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. They've traded him in for something much less. When, he says, I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the hardest houses. You see, they had, they had once walking with the Lord, they had a heritage, but then they had, they had turned and they had walked so far away from him, and they come to the place to where the Lord is reminding them that I am I will, was, I am, and I always will be the answer for you. There, there's not going to be another, you know, they had forsaken him, and there's, there, there's not going to be another answer that we can hope for. And there's not going to be a, well, I hope if I just wake up, everything will be better. I'm going to bury my head in the sand, hoping things, no, there's none of that. The answer is Jesus Christ. He says, listen, Every backslider needs to understand, and this is the same thing it was with the nation of Judah, the children of Jerusalem, that when they go back to their evil ways, their carnal ways, he's still the only answer. This will never change. He is the answer. 
right? Jesus Christ is always the answer, and he waits with open arms. I mean, he's still the answer. He was the answer then when he delivered them. He's the answer when they backslide. He's the answer every time we sin. He's still the same. He's there, and he's, you know, I'm there. And then in verse 8, he says, They were like well-fed, lusty stallions. Everyone neighed over their neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these, uh, for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Listen, Israel, or Judah in this case, should have been the real rags to riches story. They were delivered from the hand of Egypt. You know the story. I mean, they were making bricks with no straw. That's like making burgers with no meat. No, they, they were making bricks with no straw. I mean, can you imagine that? And they were, they were under the heavy bondage of the Egyptians, and then they were they called, I got a promise for you. We're going to leave here, and we're going to go to the promised land. Now think about, think about us in the modern day you know, world that we live in. We were delivered. The Lord delivered us, right? He delivered us. And we come to this place to where he's taking care of us. He's provided for us, just like he did them. He delivered us out of the world. He's provided for us. He's taken care of them. He's done everything healthy. We're in need of nothing, but something happens. I'm sure that all of us have seen these pictures of a one time so healthy and smiling, you know, seemingly happy people. And the next time you see them, it's when they've backslidden for some time and they've They've been using meth or heroin. And then once, uh, once they had everything that God had given to them, and what happened? The next time they're like these well-fed stallions, and that's what he's pointing out here, going after everybody else's wife, meaning they're just living the life, a lustful life. And they're a mess. They're playing the harlot, he says. And what was once so good and real to them is now in the distance. Listen, when I think about my life prior to Christ, it was a mess. Anybody with me? It was a mess. And God delivered me the day I met him. I, you know what? I have on my, my screen, on the internet screen, one of the, what do they call them, tabs that's open, is the article from Calvary Magazine with the 1989 men's conference. Every time I see that, i got to stop. I can't delete that. I can't, you know, change the, the, the web address on it. I have to leave that there. I look at that and I say, that's the day. And, I, and I, you, there's a picture, there's some guys praying. And there's the, the third balcony, the third uh, tier balcony. I said, that's where I was, right up there. I walked all the way down there. It was that day he cleaned me. He set me free. The, the Israelites were just like that. That day that they called out to God. They were in Egypt, and God said, man, he sent Moses. They delivered him out of there, part of the sea, did miracles in front of them. And now they're playing the harlot. And listen, just because there's an anti-God culture around them, speaking of Judah here, it was no excuse for, for them to follow after the pagan gods. Keep in mind that each of us is, is following something or someone. We're following something. We're, you know, what is it? It's a fad or is it, you know, is it the, the, the time and the season? There's a culture out there, an anti-God culture, that's trying to persuade us to not walk with God. It's what it is. And it wants to draw us away from God. See, they were like these well-fed, lusty, lusty stallions. Man, they were like, yeah, I got this. No, you don't. And he's going to show it to them. So he says in verse 10, he says, you know what? It's time to cut back the vine. It's time that we're going to do something about this. We're not going to let it go on forever. And he says in verse 10, go up on her wall and destroy. So you think about this as a vine dresser. I remember as a kid, we had um, one of my adopted aunts, they had a a vine of, of uh, grapes in the back, and they used to have to cut those back in, the ba in their backyard. And so this is what he's talking about. Prune it back, and as it cuts back, he says, but do not make a complete end. I mean, they're going to cut it back, but it's not going to be totally destroyed. That's the grace of God. He says, take away their branches, for they are not the Lord. See, the Lord knows those who belong to him, right? He knows those who belong to him. And, and I'm so thankful because in, uh, when Jesus was talking about the vine and the dresser, uh, the, the true vine, he says, I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, uh, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See, 
when, when he talks about pruning, and here he's talking about get rid of these branches, they don't even belong to me. He knows those who belong to him. I'm so thankful that as Jesus sees our life, when he talks about pruning us back, do you know what that means? When he, 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 he washes us off. It's like that vine dresser, as a vine is laying in the, in, the, in the earth, it's laying down in the ground, and it can't get, it's in the world, it's embedded in the world, it can't get any nutrients, you know, it's just kind of locked in there. And he, and he washes it off, and it says it lifts him up. He goes on to talk about, uh, he says, it ab uh, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in a vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, uh, for without me you can do nothing. And he, he talks about this place, oh, excuse me, I, I forgot my spot up in verse 2 of John 15. He says he takes away. The first thing that he does, he takes away. It doesn't mean he's going to take it out in, in the burn pile. But for you and I, what he does is he takes and he says he lifts us up. He puts a uh, kind of a crutch under us. Gets us out of the world. Don't do that. He did that through the cross. But he picks us up and then he washes us off. He prunes us and washes us off. And he, he wants us to, you know, bear much fruit. But we can't do it in the world. So we come by and say, God, I need your help. These guys, these guys were a, a, literally a mess. The, the children of Judah at this time had gotten so deep into their sin, so deep into their idolatry, that he says, they're going to be cut back. You go up on the wall and destroy, but don't cut it all back. There's going to be a remnant there. Take, take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. Oh, man. Think of Isaiah chapter 5 when he was talking about that. Clearing out the land, building the wall around it, putting up the ramparts, just getting all the rocks out. He says he built, planted a vineyard that it might bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth rotten, rotten grapes. You know, we're just called to be faithful. And as we're faithful, God just produces that fruit in us. Look at verse 11, because... These guys had gotten into this place to where they started really believing the lies. He says, For out of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. Remember, this is after he's been so gracious to them. He says, They have lied about the Lord. They were saying things that he never said. Their people had come in, we'll see this at the end, to say things he never said. And said, It is not he. Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we, uh, we see sword or famine. So the, the prophets were coming in, the false prophets that is, they were sending this message, uh, excuse me, the real prophets were coming in they, from God, they were sending a message, there's going to be a famine, there's going to be all these things. But then the false prophets would come in and say, nah, it's not so. Don't believe those guys. They were offering this false hope, and in verse 13 he says, and the prophets became, become wind, for the word is not in them, Thus shall it be done to them. And so the false prophets, they had lied about the Lord. In verse 12, he points that out. They have lied about the Lord. And the people were listening to that, and they were listening to them. Uh, and as they were listening, they were obviously taking heed to them as well. They're taking heed to the things that they were saying. They sit there long enough, you start shaking your head, they're starting to believe it. And it was an opposition to what the Lord had shared with them. So he's telling them, he's saying, you know what, guys, uh, this is what's happening. You've dealt treacherously with, treacherously with me. There have been people who've lied about, you know, don't, don't worry about anything. You know, today they might say, hey, you can live the way you, you want to live and still be a Christian. That's pretty common out there. But that's not what he said. Jesus would say, as such were some of you. You know, he said, look, you were changed. You've been changed. You've been washed. Your lives have been changed. And these people were listening, and not only listening, they were starting to take heed to the things that the Lord had never said to them. They were, they were saying, taking heed to the lie. And listen, I, there are some things that people say, you might find them fascinating. They're not true. It doesn't mean they're true. They may be tempting or appetizing or whatever the case may be. I don't know. But there has to be, what is the, what is the truth factor? How many of our, you know, we got these baloney meters. What is going off? 
ding, 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 I ain't eating that stuff. Right? I mean, instead of listening to the truth, that's what they're doing. They're listening to these false prophets who are telling them these lies. They were speaking against the true prophets. They weren't standing up. Nobody's standing up for truth. Nobody's standing up for justice. And they were saying that all of a sudden the prophets, oh, you know those guys, they're just windbags. That's what they're saying. Verse 13, he says, he says, uh, uh, and the prophets become wind. That's what he's calling them. They're windbags. For the word is not in them. They shall, uh, thus shall it be done to them. Call it your, your windbags. The true word of God is not in them. That's what he's saying. How important is it for us today to have the word of God planted in our hearts? And to know the word of God. That's why we pass out Bibles. We want you to have a Bible. I want you to be a, a man and a woman of the word, to know the word, to understand the word. Remember the story I said when I first moved up here to start the church, when the old timers, they asked me, so said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm just going to teach the word. He said, well, too much of the word and they dry up. <laughs> too much worship and they blow up. And you better have a good balance. I said, I, I well, whatever. <laughs> teach the word. So because of this, because they refused to listen, to the Lord, because they refused to take heed to the word as it was going out. Verse 14, he says, therefore. I like telling them, man, you guys are going to pay for it. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you speak this word, because of the lies, because of the lies, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people would. And this shall devour them. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure fire and wood don't make a good combo. And if you're going to speak words of fire and you're going to be wood, guess what? It's going to catch on. And Jeremiah at this time, he's a young man. Young man, uh, believed to be the son of a priest. He's hearing the things, seeing the things that are going on in his nation, in, the, in uh, Jerusalem. And then the Lord gets a hold of him. He says, you know what, Jeremiah? I want you to turn the heat up. He said, turn the heat of your message up. Turn the heat of the message up to the people. This is a challenge to any of us. Because in the day that in Asia we live in too, we have, you know, where, where are we at? I mean, I'm not talking about being obnoxious with the Word of God and walking around you know, with picket signs and turn and burn and all this. It has to be the grace of God. But I think that, that that message, the message of grace, has to be boldly pre, um, preached today. The message of God's grace. And, and again, a challenge for any of us. Nonetheless, a young man in a culture that was anti-God and had wanted nothing to do with God. Paul's writing to young Timothy. He told him this. He said, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, he says, as I urge you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So the first thing he's telling young Timothy is, this, you got to remain in Ephesus. There's a purpose there. Uh, you may not like it there, but they, they, God needs to use you there. And again, it was an anti-God culture, but he was to remain there. There's work to be done there in the midst of an anti-God culture. And he says that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So this is a huge role to fill, but you know what, young Timothy, just do it. Get out there, get bold. Jeremiah, I want you to turn the heat up. I want you to turn the heat up. I want you to start speaking forth the word of fire. Uh, a couple chapters later in chapter 4, verse Timothy, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and impurity. And so whether it be Timothy or Jeremiah, whether it's their youth or whatever it might be, they were to be faithful to the Lord. Just be faithful. Don't despise your youth. Don't despise whatever it is. You just be faithful to the Lord and get the word out there. They were speaking lies. Jeremiah, you turn up the heat a little bit. In verse 15, they were gonna, everything that they were going to have to have, Jeremiah goes in to tell them, everything that you think that you have is going to be burned. It's going to go out for dust. Verse 15 says, Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. They, the, their quiver is like an empty tomb. They are all mighty men, and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. So what was meant for your sons and daughters, they're not, they're not going to get it. 
They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. So what Jeremiah is saying here is, you know what, guys? Everything that you've worked for, everything that you've tried to accomplish, you may as well just kiss it goodbye. That's going. That's the way it is. You want to play in a world, that's the way it's going to be. And, be, and, and because it's going to be gone. And he's telling them that the enemy's going to prevail. The enemy's not your friend. Those people that they were tiptoeing and dancing around with, they're not your friend. And you're going to find it out the hard way. So they're going to pre- prevail and they're going to plunder. And the phrase eat up, if you notice that four times here, it's the word devour. And the enemy's going to do exactly this by the word. He's going to eat them up and everything that they have with it. Think of 1 Peter 5.8 where he says, you know, that we are to be diligent, that we should be aware that the enemy is really roaring around. It's a hungry, right? It's not a hungry animal roaring around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's there to destroy, kill, still and destroy. And then in verse 18, it testifies to the Lord's grace. Even in the midst of all this, he says, nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end to you. So he's been telling them this. The entire time, he says, you know what? You're going to get it. Here's the consequences. You keep doing this. This is a, here's your judgment. Here's a case against you. This is what's going to happen. But I'm not going to make a complete end. I mean, there's going to be a remnant there. And I will not totally destroy them. There's going to be a remnant. And the people, they're going to ask, why? Why will God do all this? And what, you know, why is he going to do what he says he's going to do? Look at verse 19. He says, and it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall say, uh, then you shall answer them, just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your hands, so you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. So they ask, why are you going to do this? And the Lord says this, just as you have done to me, so I will do, do unto you. I mean, it's fair, right? In a sense, he says, you've forsaken me, so I will leave it to your own folly. I'm going to leave it to your own folly. I'm going to let you do what you're going to do. And they've forsaken the Lord, and in doing so, they've invited these foreign gods to, uh, you know, to take his place in their lives. And because of their decision, they would be taken away by these foreign gods to a land that was not their own. Saying, look it, you've forsaken me, and you serve these other gods. Well, why don't I just take you to their playland? I'll just let you go. I'll deliver you. If that's what you want, maybe I'll drive you there, drop you off, open a door. You see, it was as the Lord was saying to them, if you want to serve these other gods in the land, that they aren't going to do it here, not in the land that I promised you. I'm going to put your stuff on Front Street. I'm going to put it out there. And if you want to worship idols, I'll deliver you to the land of idols. What do you want? See, there's a choice that each of us has to make, isn't there? There's a decision. And the decision is ours. That we get to make. And we and this the same message we get to preach. It's not just this um, heavy thing. It's like, man, what do you want to do today? Look at verse 20. He says, Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, foolish people, just like Paul wrote to the Galatians. You foolish, who has bewitched you? Without, under, without understanding, who have eyes and, not, and see not, who have ears and hear not, do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Have you placed the sand as the bounds of the sea by a perpetual degree that it cannot pass beyond it? And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. And though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. They had, the, the problem was these people had no fear of the Lord. They didn't fear of any of the consequences that was going to happen. They just kept blindly going about their business. And listen, I think for us to understand that a healthy, proper, honest reverence for the Lord, when we have that that attitude, that mindset, that should keep us from doing evil and being out there in the evil world and going in the evil way. And in this case, it should keep them from backsliding back into their old lives. But they didn't have that. They had no fear. No fear of God. And without a fear of God, they didn't have a fear of the consequences. But I can handle this. Being to think, I got strength. I got my own body. I got my own, you know, I'm, I'm a man now. And they're going to live out their life the way they want to live it. And they refuse to, you know, 
not only did they walk away from him, from the Lord, but they refused to see the goodness that God had brought to them. Look at verse 23. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain, both the former and the latter, in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquity, your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from, uh, from you. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. First off, it mentions here that they had refused to see the good that God had brought to them. I mean, think of what the Lord has done for them. I've done all this for you. And they've been negligent in, in, in thinking about that. And I think of the same thing in our lives. Hasn't the Lord been good to us? Think about where we're at right now. Just, just, just right now, right now. Think about where we're at. Yesterday I was driving Elaine to the, her doctor's appointment and um, we were talking about this. I don't, I don't, we don't, none of us deserve what the Lord has done for us. But we were talking about this, just thinking about that. Again, God had saved us. And He saved us by His grace. And not only did He save us, but He planted us into a Bible-teaching church. And not just for me, but for my children. Look at, you guys know where I'm from. From the hood, did no good. But God said, you know, when he saved me, it happened to be just in this place to where they're going to teach the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we're the only church around that, that does that, but I'm just saying, look what he did for me. I look at that and I go, man, I am so thankful. I got to know the Bible. You know, when, they, when I first started going to Wednesday nights, they were teaching Genesis. I go, how cool is this? And I didn't know Job from Job back then. I'm serious. And I'm thinking, man, you know, here, here the Lord is. We're in, we're in Genesis. Pastor Mike McIntosh was in James. I'm like, man, this is great. Look, he's teaching James. Man, the Wednesday night guy, man, they're in Genesis. This is rich. And I am so thankful that God has me in that place where Calvary Chapel was the word of the, the word of God was being taught and the water of the word helped keep my heart, soften my heart and heart up. And especially the things of the Lord, because I came in a callous dude, man. But it was after sitting in front of the fountain of God's word, constantly going out, that word, the word by the Spirit of God began to change me. It had to change me. There was nothing else gonna, that was going to offer me hope. What else was going to give me hope? There was nothing going to be there. And I pray, Lord, let me never forget the goodness that you brought to me. Maybe, I don't want to ever forget that. And Lord, help me not to be complacent. And, and let me, help me not to take things for granted. See, that's what these people did. They neglected to see the good of what God had done for them. They didn't recognize the provision that he always made. And then he brought them out of there. And it was always there. Perfect? Far from it. Thankful? Absolutely. Thankful for what he's done. Thankful for his provision. Verse 25 again tells us that it was their sin that had turned them away from the Lord. The Lord didn't say, ah, no, you wore green socks today. I hate green. You know? You see, not only had they turned away from him, but they had turned away from his blessings. See, it was their sin that caused them, caused the blessings to not be applied to their lives. And sadly, their sin, not only did it turn them from the blessings of God, but then it turned them into uh, getting, they were from each other. They weren't getting along with each other. It turned away from one another. Look at verse 26. From among my people are found wicked men. They should have been faithful. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. 
referring to those who are in power, you know, referring to the uh, those who are in power. They were ready to take advantage of, or they were always taking advantage of, of the people there, you know. And again in verse, again in verse twenty-six, he, says, he, he, you know, he says, "From among my, or from among my people." I think, my goodness, from among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men, referring to those from power, those who had the the, the ability to offer change were caught up in stuff they shouldn't have been caught up in. And instead they were setting up traps and they were using it for their own prey. Verse 27, As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked and they do not plead the cause, uh, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the right of their needy they do not defend. So I shall not, or so, excuse me, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on a na- on such a nation as this? You look at when the people weren't caring for the people they should have been caring for, they became more concerned with themselves instead of the welfare of others. Shouldn't God says, should I not judge them? Should I not punish them? And then the Lord asked him in verse 29 again, should I not punish them because of these things? And what should we say? No, no, Lord, cut them some slack. They were supposed to have unity. God created a place for them to have unity. Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. They were supposed to have unity. And the word for you and I, for, for unity today is in Ephesians 4. And Paul writing, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit of, uh, in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, you make every effort. That's what it says. You can't create peace, or you, you can't create unity. You've Got to keep it and make every effort. Their motives were wrong. Their motives were totally wrong. They were selfish, and they weren't interested in the well-being of others. They were only in it for themselves. God's calling them on it. And then look at the, the last couple of verses. They followed after anything but God and His Word. It says in verse 30, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? See, the prophets are speaking falsely, which means... Uh, they were speaking lies to the people. The prophets who were to proclaim the truth of God's word were prophesying lies. The priests who were to instruct the people in the ways of God were instead ruling by their own authority, taking things into their own hands. And all these supposed acts of righteousness that the people were looking at, they may have been in awe over them and Google-eyed or whatever over them. But and all of these, the people just thought, well, that's cool, I like that. And they began to follow men. They were okay with being led astray. And the elements of society preferred wickedness to righteousness. Isn't this a sign of the times today? I mean, what do we see out there? What's the, what does society prefer? It's wickedness or righteousness? And verse 31 tells us that the people didn't care. They were having their ears tickled and they were happy with that. They were content. Again, the, my people love to have it so. That's a sad statement. That's a sad, isn't this, I mean, it's just sad to, to, to think about that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 reminds us, says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will not they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside of fables. But you, he says, be watchful in all things, endure reflections, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So look at though the, that's the, the comfort zone. Everybody's ordering up Easy Street. You guys ever seen the drive through church on the YouTube channel, whatever it is, the guy goes up and drive. Hey, I think I'll have can you do only two clapping songs today? You know, it's kind of a fun on stuff. 
Can you have communion? I want gluten-free, and then I would like, uh, I want to sit in the back. Can you turn the air conditioning at 68? All this stuff. But some really do want itchy ears. They just want their ears tickled. They want their, you know, and, and they're going to move far away from, but far away from the truth. But what are you going to do? What am I going to do? I, I think of the church today. You know, um, I watched, uh, and again, I watched it for the second time. Um, the church in, in Iran growing. And the way it's growing, it's pretty incredible what God's doing there. No building, no anything. I, I start thinking of this stuff. I go, they just have the word. They just have the word. They're, they're sharing the word of God out there. And I think, what are we, what are we doing in America to try and attract people to the Lord? You know what we've done? We made a business out of it. Entertainment, that'll get them. Smoke machines, these lights, strobe lights. You trip, man. You trip out of church. It's legal. Why not teach them the word and give them the truth? Because the only thing that's going to bring them back is repentance. So the Lord asked him, what do you do in the end? And it's all over. What do you do? And the question is that, pretty good for us too, how will the decisions that we're making affect you and our family in the end, and are we concerned about that? Are we concerned about the decisions that we're making? And what do we do about that? Well, I think tonight, as we close, I want to respond to that. And here's how I want to respond to it. And Gabe, once you and Mary come up. I want to respond by this. We hear a message of backsliders, you know, from uh, Jeremiah 5. And to respond one of two ways. One, we may need prayer. But two, isn't it true that we know somebody that is backslidden? Right? From the Lord? Somebody that once tasted and seen that the Lord is good and somebody that's just not there. They, they've walked away from it. So tonight I want to do you know something a little different. And as um, Gabe and uh, Mary are up here and they're going to lead us in some worship. But I want to pray. I want to ask God to really minister to our hearts. And I'm going to have him sing a song. And then, and then I just want us to, to just have some people in mind, think of people in mind that need prayer. And we're going to come back and we're going to pray for these people. We'll kind of lead you through that. But let's just have our minds now set upon the Lord as we've heard. It's a tragedy when people walk away from the Lord. It's a tragedy. But we want to do something about it. The, the, the thing to do is, like, ah, look at them, look at them. No, no, no. The thing is, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. And let's, by the Spirit of God, as we're praying, pray to move on their hearts. So you guys lead us in a song, and, and then we'll come back and we'll pray. Father, thank you again. Move on our hearts. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.